Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, go with me tonight to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And we come this evening to Nehemiah and chapter number three, the book of Nehemiah and chapter three this evening, Nehemiah and chapter 3, and you're going to immediately notice something about the book of Nehemiah in chapter 3, and that is that the chapter appears to consist largely of unpronounceable names, of which I will be the first to tell you I have a difficult time reading through as well. At some point, you just start referring to them by their first letter. That's all you're going off of after after some point. When you're reading through your Bible, there's often chapters just like this. And in in fact, it it can be discouraging to come to passages like this, especially if you're in any kind of Bible reading schedule, you're trying to get through a particular section of Scripture in a particular amount of time. Chapters like this are are perplexing to us because we oftentimes wonder, what is the purpose of recording who was working on the front of which house? And the, the temptation can be to come to a passage like this and while it is not immediately interesting, we can then assume that there must be no practical purpose, must be no lesson for us inside of the record of it. Chuck Swindoll is a famous pastor. He's a faithful preacher of God's word. He wrote an entire book on Nehemiah. The book is titled, Hand Me Another Brick. It's a great book, wonderful lessons in it. In his book on Nehemiah, he skipped chapter number three. It's a book about Nehemiah, and you skip an entire chapter. Okay, we're not going to skip the chapter. What we're not going to do is we're not going to, as our custom normally is, read each chapter, each verse, each name, all the way through it. I don't want to put you through 32 verses of that this evening. We're just going to find one verse, verse number 28. Verse number 28 of chapter number 3, and you'll get the sense of the entire text in one verse. The chapter is telling us about those individuals that God used to do the work of repairing the gates Repairing the walls. In fact, you'll find them mentioned. Several gates being mentioned in this passage. He's he's naming which gates they were fixing or repairing. And you come now to verse number 28 of chapter 3. Now remember this. Nehemiah is here doing this work. And these people, in fact, are here doing this work because the king, Artaxerxes, has allowed for Nehemiah, his cupbearer, to go back to Jerusalem to do this very thing. You come to verse number 28 of chapter 3 and it reads this. From above the horse gate repaired the priest, every one over against his house. 
For above the horse gate repaired the priest everyone over against his house. So, so why is it that God is allowing Nehemiah to write an entire chapter recording that event? And here is, here is why, is one of the reasons why. This chapter records ordinary people accomplishing an extraordinary work when they work for the glory of an extraordinary God. That is the record of Nehemiah 3. Ordinary people accomplishing an extraordinary work because they are doing their work for the glory of an extraordinary God. And just why is it that God uses ordinary people? And this is the answer. Because that's all that there is. Ordinary people. And we, we want to believe that there are extraordinary people. We want to believe that we are some of them. We are infatuated with celebrities and athletes and politicians and influencers, as they would be referred to. We're infatuated with them. We think they're so spectacular. But this is the reality. There are nothing but ordinary people in this world. And so God is recording the lives and the work of extraordinary people who accomplish something extraordinary simply because they did a work not for their own selves, but they did a work for the glory of an extraordinary God. And so God sees fit to tell Nehemiah to take an entire chapter and record the names of these ordinary people. Now one commentator writing on this passage says, God is a great believer in putting down the names of individuals. It reminds us, it reminds us that God sees, God knows, God has not forgotten your name, God is quite aware of all you have done, of all you have been through, God is fully aware. And while there may be those who forget you as time passes, and we all will be forgotten at some point or another, while there may be those who will forget you, forget your work, God never will. God never will. Nothing done for Christ is ever lost. No, nothing done for Christ is ever lost. Nothing done for Christ is ever wasted. And sometimes you can feel this way in this world. And sometimes you go, oh, that was just, that was what a waste. Well, what, what, what? I mean, why did we even do that? Why did we even try that? What was the payoff? And when we speak in those terms, we're speaking only in an earthly understanding, not in an eternal understanding. You remember what Jesus is telling the, the disciples. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
There is a way to live your life where all you are doing is trying to accumulate earthly things, earthly treasure, earthly prominence, earthly significance, all of which will be lost. And there is a way to live your life where you are storing up for yourself treasure, not here on this earth, but for eternity. And what oftentimes when we come to passages like this, one of the things that we are immediately confronted with is this great fact that God sees our work, God knows our work, and God has not forgotten our name. Now that can, that can do two things in your heart. That can first, that can encourage your heart. But second, that can convict your heart. That can encourage you to say, yes, thank the Lord what I've done for Christ can't truly ever be lost. It can also convict your heart. It can convict your heart because it can challenge you on the fact that are you doing what you're doing for the praise and commendation of men? Or are you doing what you're doing for the name and the glory of God. So these men and women in this chapter, and there are women in the chapter, these men and women in this chapter are ordinary folks, ordinary folks who are accomplishing an extraordinary work because they are working for the glory of an extraordinary God. And when they are doing this work, this is what you need to know, that this work has an impact on the whole city. It has an influence on their culture. The influence that they had on the city is a direct result of what verse 28 is saying. And that is that they are primarily, every one of them, working against his house. In other words, they're having an impact on the city... Because they are working where they live. Do you see? How are they transforming the entire city? Because each one of them is working right where God has planted them. And this is the whole message. It's simple, but it is significant. And that is this. That these people who are conducting the repairs of this city, this great work which is recorded in the word of God for all of eternity, is recorded in this way because these men and women did the work on their own house. Do not miss that point. The people of God, this is the principle of this chapter, the people of God make the greatest impact in cities and in cultures and in societies and in neighborhoods that they live in by being committed to the cause of the gospel, the cause of Christ, the glory of God, right in front of their own home. The way to make the greatest impact in our city is to be committed to the cause of Christ in your own home. In front of your own house. To your own neighbor. 
across your own street, in your own office. Do you understand? And someone will say, well, verse 28 says that it was, in fact, the priest that did this. This is true. Very quick of you to be able to point that out, that it records the word priest. But I would respond to you by reminding you what 1 Peter teaches us, 1 Peter chapter 2, that we as individual believers are priests. We are of what Peter says is a royal priesthood. Revelation 5 says that God is preparing a kingdom and priest who will worship and serve the living God, which we would clearly understand from Revelation is speaking of us, the church. So we believe that the Bible teaches us a thing as the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. And so the, the retort that says, well, it's the priest, they're the ones who are doing the work in front of their own house, and so thereby, I'm not a priest, so I don't have to do the work in my own neighborhood, at my own job, in my own office, with my own family. We are, we're, we, we've taken that, that argument completely off the table when we recognize that you and I are responsible in this way to God. You and I are responsible in fulfilling the individual assignment and responsibilities that he has given to us. So how do we accomplish this work? Let's talk about that. How do we accomplish this work? First, write this down. Think you got it in your outline. First, we must be in tune with the purpose. You must be in tune with the purpose. I imagine that if we had been able to walk around the city of Jerusalem, to talk to the individuals who were the ones doing the work on their own homes. And if we were to ask them, what exactly are you doing here? I think it would have been very clear. The, the answer unequivocally from everyone would have been, we are doing the work of God by repairing this wall. So you remember, chapter 1, God's name had been drugged through the mud. And this wall was symbolic of all that God is. God is a God of might. God is a God of power, a God of strength, a God of glory. And so they are working to build the wall, and it is a, it is a symbol for all that God is and for all that God promises he will be for these people. And so if you were to approach them and say, what is it? What exactly are you trying to do here? They would have said, we are working for the glory of God. In fact, you can go through this entire chapter. You can see it rather quickly. Chapter or verse 10. In verse number 10, you're given the record of this one by the name of Jedidiah, the son of Harumpha. Let me see how difficult it gets quickly. Even over against his own house. You see it there again in verse number 23. And after him repaired Benjamin and Hashib, notice, over against their own house. And after him repaired Azariah, the son of May. Well, there you go, you got it, your guess is as good as mine. Against his own house, you see. They're all doing this in their own house. And if we would approach them individually and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this work? They would have been in tune with the purpose 
which is what? I am to rebuild the section of the wall in front of my own house. This is my responsibility and assignment. You even find another fellow in verse number 30. After him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, over against his chamber. Notice that. Literally, single bedroom apartment. That's the idea. This is a single guy, and even he, who doesn't have a wife and kids and a house, even he recognizes there is a, there is a purpose for which I am serving. There is a purpose for which I am working. I love the, I love the people mentioned in verse number 12. Next to him repaired Shalom, the son of Halosheth, the ruler of half part of Jerusalem. Notice this. He and his daughters. I love that point. There's this, there's this Shalom out building the, the section of, repairing the section of wall next to his house with his daughters standing by as he's swinging the hammer. His daughter is right next to him. What a wonderful illustration of what is being accomplished in chapter 3. And there is a very important truth that emerges for this, isn't it? God has strategically placed you where he wants you to be. God has strategically put you where he has you in order for you to do a work for him and his glory. So your neighborhood or your office or your home, that's that's what is being taught here. Your neighborhood is where your ministry is. Your office is where your ministry is. Your home is where your ministry is. I think it's very interesting here too. Is that if you would have gone around the outside of the wall of Jerusalem. And if you would have asked the people outside the walls, hey, what are they doing inside the wall? What are they, what's the work that they're doing in there? They would have responded with the same answer. They would have said, well, they're building a wall. They're repairing gates. They're hanging hinges. That's what they're accomplishing inside of there. Let's make the application for our lives today then. Let's assume for a moment that we could ask Members of the greater church at large. What exactly is our purpose here? What exactly are you doing here? I think the answers that we would receive from that question are as diverse as the day is long. I'm not saying that the answers would be all bad. I'm not saying that the answers would be all wrong. I'm not even saying that the answers would be all inadequate. But what is safe to say is that the answer would not be the same. What is our purpose here? What are we supposed to be doing here? The reason for that, that confusion, that diverse answer, is because for the most part, the church has lost sight of its ultimate purpose. The church has fallen prey into thinking that its job is to champion all these other causes that everyone wants us to champion. We're tempted to use the weapons 
that others have invented in order to transform our own culture. And interestingly, if you went outside the walls of the church, if you went around the community and you said, what does the church exist for? What is the church's purpose? Why is the church here? You would get a million different answers. Some would say, the church's job is to build buildings. The church's job is to help the poor. The church's job is to feed the hungry. The church's job is to clothe the needy. And we try to accomplish all of that. But is that our purpose? Is that the purpose of the church? I want to show you a very simple answer from Jesus of what the purpose is for us as individuals and for us as a church. Go forward in your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter number four. Go to Matthew chapter number four. Matthew chapter four. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Okay, Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 12. This is Jesus here. He's calling the disciples. He's calling the disciples to him. Look, look down to verse number 17. I said 12, I meant 17. He says, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walking by, I'm in verse 18. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. Now that is about as clear as it can be. What is our purpose here? Our purpose as a church, your purpose as an individual is to be a fisher of men. Now, now don't, don't let some wise guy come and tell you, well, Jesus said fishers of men because Peter and Andrew were in fact fishers. And so he's speaking their language. As if Jesus walked up to Matthew, a tax collector, and said, leave your accounting books and follow me, and I will make you a tax collector of men. No, he didn't say that to Matthew. Jesus didn't say to the businessman, come and follow me, and I will make you a businessman of men. No, that's not what he says. No, Jesus is using this language on purpose. He is speaking to the idea of what our purpose as followers of Christ, of what our purpose as followers of Christ is to be. And what is our purpose to be? We are to be catching men for Christ. That is the overarching purpose of the church. That is the overarching purpose of why God has you here. To be a fisher of men. Do you know this? Some will say, well, our purpose is to worship, or our purpose is to fellowship, or our purpose is to sing. There are some that think that. I don't do anything in the church except sing. As if, as if singing here is as good as it gets. Did you know this? That you and I will sing much better in heaven than we sing here. 
You'll never miss a note. You'll never be off rhythm. You won't sound anything like how I sound when I sing. Did you know that in heaven, the fellowship is so sweet that you and I cannot even comprehend what the fellowship of heaven must be like? Did you know that the worship in heaven is so much greater than the worship that we experience here on earth? But you know what you will not do in heaven? You know what you cannot do in heaven that you can do here? Fish for men. Why are we here? What is our purpose? This is the overarching purpose. To tell all of those who do not know Christ, to tell them about Christ. Go in your Bibles with me. Go to, go to Matthew. Go to Matthew in chapter number 9 now. Go to Matthew in chapter number 9. Just go forward a page or two. Matthew chapter number 9. Look with me at verse number 37. And he saith unto his disciples, The harvest is truly plenteous. The laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now watch, oftentimes these are verses that only ever get read at missions conferences. And we think of them as only mission verses. We hear verses like this and we think, yeah, that's an overseas verse. This is not an overseas verse. There's nothing in this text that Jesus says, oh, this is only for the missionary. No, 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 this is an over-the-street verse. This is an over-the-table verse. This is an over-the-office verse. That you and I would see men the way that God sees them. As souls. And then that you and I would live our lives, align our priorities, approach our work in tune with his purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Well, that, that, flies, that flies in the face of most, most people in our day. Well, we don't want to be too aggressive with people. We don't want to try to persuade people. We just want to present the facts and let them come to a decision on their own. If we are not trying to persuade them, then what are we doing? Yeah. Right. Amen. Presumably, if you are not trying to persuade someone, then you don't really think that what you are telling them is that important. But if we are in tune with his purpose, which is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, that there is a heaven which will be enjoyed by all those who have trusted in Christ, that there is a hell which is the place for all of those who are lost and die in their lostness, in their sin, outside of Christ, then we should be about the business of persuading men. How did they do such an amazing work 
They were first in tune with the purpose. Second, they were in step with the program. So this one, this one I want you to see on this point. We should not think that each person was only worried about his or her little section. No, no, they were, they were working together. In fact, I challenge you for homework tonight. Read this entire chapter. And as you read, it's 30 plus verses. You'll find that more than 20 different times, the, uh, Nehemiah uses the phrase, and next to him, or next to them, or beside them. They, they, in other words, they were working side by side. That's the idea. They were working side by side. Here are people who did not just concern themselves with their own place. But these are people who are working in their place where God has put them. But they are working in cooperation with those that are around them. It's men and women, it's sons and daughters, it's princes and commoners. And they're laboring side by side. Each one of them focused on the task that God has given to them individually, but also working for the benefit of the person beside them. Let me, let me show you one example. Go, go, to, uh, go to Nehemiah, go, go, go to chapter 3 and, and look at verse number 24. Are you there? Okay, look at verse 24. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 24. Watch this. Listen to the language of this one. And after him repaired Benuiah, the son of Hanadad, another piece from the house of Azariah, notice this, to the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. And Palau, the son of Uzziah, over against the turning of the wall, and the tower which lieth out in front of the king's high house, which was by the court of the prison. Okay, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that this man wasn't just working according to his own individual expression. He wasn't just doing his own thing. He wasn't just going his own way. But instead, he was working to the corner and the angle of the wall. That's what he was doing. He was working in line. With the corner and the angle of his law, of the wall in front of him. He's in step with the program. Let me just say this as it relates to us as a church. We need to guard against the idea that we are the only ones who get it right and everyone else gets it wrong. No, no, no. We are a small part of what God is doing. And God is doing all kinds of things. And he's doing all kinds of things through all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And our responsibility is to work up to the point that God has given for us. That is our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be in step with the program that he has for us. But, but no, you read through the text later this evening, you'll see. Everyone working on the same wall is not doing the same work. They're all contributing to the same overall goal, but they, all not, they are not all doing the same thing. And so it is in a church. We don't all do the same thing. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. Your gifting, your abilities... 
are probably not my giftings or my abilities. And my giftings and my abilities are probably not your giftings and abilities. And that's okay. You don't have to be me. Aren't you thankful for that? And I don't have to be you. I'm very thankful for that. But you do have to be who God has created and gifted and called you to be. That is very important. We get, we get way out of balance. And sometimes we fall off on this side of that, of that horse and we think everybody has to look like us, everybody has to talk like us, everybody has to walk like us, everybody has to do everything like we do. And that is not the case in the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, if you read the New Testament, Paul is saying this, Paul is saying, no, 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 if Christ be preached, if Christ be preached, well then, who am I to stand in the way of that? Hey, so we can come to this side and we can go, everybody has to be like me, walk like me, talk like me, sound like me, look like me. No, they don't. And that's okay. It speaks to the, to the glory of who our God is. Or we fall off that horse on this side and we think, well, everyone can just believe whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, because all roads lead to God anyway. And no, they don't. No, they don't. Not everybody talking about Jesus knows Jesus. Not, not everybody talking about the Bible believes the Bible. Not everybody talking about heaven is going to heaven. Do you understand? So, so we are working on our own individual peace, yes, but we are working for the cooperation of the overall purpose. So we're not just doing what we want. Well, I really thought the wall would look better with an extra gate here. No, 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 no. No, we're not free to just make up whatever rules we want for along the way. No, that's not what we're saying. What we are saying is they are working according to their own giftings, according to the purposes that God has for them, according to their own abilities. Everyone is performing the, not everyone is performing the same work, but everyone is contributing to the overall goal. I was talking to a, a, a pastor friend who I, I will preach for, Lord willing, next month. And he is, uh, he pastors a church way out in the country. This true story, the church is actually on a dead end road. Okay? You think of that. And everyone in their church wears boots. And everyone in their church has spurs. And everyone in their church wears belt buckles. And everyone in their church has cowboy hats. Some of you would fit in with them. I'm not going to call your name out. You know who you are. I own no buckles, I, own, I have no boots, and I do not have a hat. We're talking on the phone today, we're asking, I was asking how the church was going, he was asking me how our church was going, we were talking back and forth. And I, he said, are you, are you real country? He said, are you still ready to come to North Carolina? I said, I'm, I'm ready to come, I don't have a belt buckle or anything, am I going to be allowed to enter if I don't enter with a belt buckle, boots, and chaps? And he said, he said something, I was, I, was, I was preparing for this sermon, he said, it, just, it stuck with me, he said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to come because we need another Pastor Potter, I'm asking you to come because we need to hear what God has told Dave Delaney. You see, that we don't all have to be the same, sound the same, walk the same, talk the same. Do you understand? This is, this is what's happening here. They're, they're in, in, in tune with the purpose. They're in step with the program. Let me give you the last one. They're in touch with the people. That's what you're seeing in this text. They're in touch with the people. 
Now look, there, there, are, there are churches who are programmed to the max. They have more programs than, than you could shake a stick at. There are people who know the purposes of the church forward and backwards. But they never impact the culture for Christ. And you know why? Because they are not in touch with the people. It's like living on an island. My four and no more. No, 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 friend. We must learn to broaden our circle. We must learn to see the people in our lives the way that God sees them. Almost six years ago, when I first came here, we taught through the book of Joshua. Some of you remember that. And we taught a very important lesson as we walked through that book. And one of the lessons we taught as we walked through that book, I'll remind you because you've forgotten it. One of the lessons that we taught as we walked through that book together is we taught this lesson. There are no accidental people in your life. There are no accidental people. You never accidentally cross the path of someone else. That's not how it goes. No, no. God purposefully brings people into your life for a reason. The cashier, the waiter, the clerk at the gas station, whoever, your, your co-workers, whoever. God brings these people into your life on, a, on purpose for a reason. But see, oftentimes we fail to make the impact for Christ on them because we are not in touch with people. We know all the purposes. We got all the programs. But we are not in touch with the people around us. What's the great criticism of Jesus? Jesus received a lot of criticism in his ministry. But what is the great criticism? The great criticism levied against Jesus, Matthew chapter 11. He's a friend to tax collectors and sinners. So the incarnate son of God is criticized for this in the gospels. Jesus is criticized for this thing more than he is criticized for anything else. He's, he's friends with tax collectors and sinners. According to the religious people of his day, Jesus is hanging out with the wrong crowd. That's the idea. And it, and it wasn't just that he was acquainted with them. They said he's friend to them. Now, I'm going to be very clear. Many times people use that verse to justify hanging around people who are participating in wrong activities and they're saying nothing. So this isn't some kind of Jesus just condoned all kinds of sinful behavior. No, whenever Jesus encountered sinful people, he always called them to righteousness. Always called them to righteousness. You can't just hang around with sinful people who are doing sinful things and then use that verse as cover fire for your sinful desires. Well, Jesus hung around with sinners. Yeah, well, Jesus also called sinners to repent. So where's the repentance you're calling them to? But this is, the, this is the accusation levied against him. So here, 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 this is what I'm asking you. This is a conclusion. I do not live on your street. I do not work in your office. I, I have not met your uncle or your aunt or your sister or your classmates. But God has strategically placed you where you are in your family, in that city, at that job, in that neighborhood, for this purpose. So we must get in touch with the people that he has placed us around. 
Are you in touch with the people God has put you around? Are you, are you in tune with the purpose of being a fisher of men for Christ? Are you in step with the program? Using the gifts and the abilities and the calling that God has placed on your life to accomplish that overarching purpose? Or are we more like the Apostle Peter? Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, your end is going to be one of suffering. It's going to be one of agony. Your end, Peter, is going to be a terrible end. You're going to die for me in the end. Peter is walking as Jesus is telling him how his life will end. And Peter is looking around at John and at James and at Thomas and at Andrew. And Peter goes, Lord, what about him? Okay, okay, fine, fine. I'm, I'm willing to die for you. I love you. But is he going to die for you too? And you remember Jesus' answer? What's that to you? I, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't answer now listen, John gets put in a vat of oil. He gets sentenced to the Isle of Patmos. We're going to talk about that next week at Family Worship Nights. John does not have an easy road, okay? It's not, it's, not, it's not sunshine and roses for John. But I love that Jesus doesn't tell Peter that. I love that he just looks at Peter and goes, what's that to you? Are you following me? Or are you following John? You see? Oftentimes, okay, okay, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, but and then, and I would have, but no, no, no. We must be in touch with the people that God has placed in our lives. Ordinary people can accomplish an extraordinary work when they do that work for the glory of an extraordinary God. That is what Nehemiah 3 is teaching us. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for all you've done for us and given to us. And our true desire, I, I believe the desire of every person in this room, I believe their desire is to do an extraordinary work for you. Not because we think ourselves to be extraordinary individuals. In fact, we find ourselves to be rather ordinary. But Father, this is the kind of people you delight in using. You've put a treasure in earthen vessels. You've, you've decided in your good purposes to use us. You delight in using us. So Father, I pray that you would help us to delight in accomplishing your purpose. And may we recognize that the purpose you have given for us begins right where we live. In the office we work, with the friends we have, with the, with the family we're around, so I pray you would give us courage and I pray that you would give us wisdom and I pray that you would give us strength to know how we might accomplish the purposes. How, how we might fulfill the program that you have for us. How, how we might influence the people that you have placed in and around our lives for your own namesake. Do this for your own glory. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all of it. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. amen.
Now listen, after a sermon like that, I'm not, I'm not going to do a formal invitation, but I just, I just want to call you to this. You think right now, who's somebody tomorrow that you're going to see and you don't know their eternal state? So, so right now, this evening, before you go to bed, ask the Lord, Lord, give me courage and give me opportunity to talk to them tomorrow. Lord, give me courage and opportunity to fulfill this tomorrow. Lord, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be the guy with the Bible thumping people over the head. I want to be that guy. So, Lord, just give me the courage. Give me the opportunity. And, and I guarantee this, the Lord will bring that opportunity by your way. And you take the opportunity to tell, tell them about Jesus. Not, not invite them to the church. People don't like church anymore. Okay, forget invite them to the church. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about what Jesus has done.